Welcome to another edition of Bonding Time. I'm Brett Bolton with the BDA, and today we have our guest, Tom Koslick from Hilltop Securities. Tom, how are you? I'm good, Brett. Thanks for having me again. I appreciate it. Good, good. Happy to have you. And Tom, I know we were on not that long ago, but I think a surprise of the year. The Democrats in both the House and the Senate got their act together and passed the not Build Back Better. I know we've talked about Build Back Better for the past two years, and I was very, uh, very close to saying that, but the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, a nearly trillion dollar package, so vastly smaller than that original $2.5 trillion package that uh, President Biden was throwing around years ago. So $740 billion, that includes $288 billion for prescription drug pricing reform, $124 billion for IRS tax enforcement, $369 billion for climate and energy, as well as a 15% alternative minimum book tax for corporations. I think that we'll dig in much deeper here momentarily. So Tom, beyond the shock of this thing coming together last minute, Senators Schumer and Manchin working behind the scenes, I think really caught everybody off guard. Anything stick out there in those big chunks of spending that I just mentioned? I mean, the first thing that really sticks out is the idea that it absolutely did shock almost everyone in Washington that this I How many times did I say it was done, Britain? (laughs) You've been saying it was done for the past two years since it even began. So we're clearly eating some crow here today, but crazy how it came together so quickly. Right. And that being said, I think that that I'd like to explore the idea that a little more of what it is that can happen when something like anything, especially something comes together so quickly and lawmakers are really shooting to get it completed or across the finish line without a lot of consideration about the overall policy implications, right? Let's get to that after we kind of go through a top line review. As you were mentioning, there is a significant amount of spending for energy and climate. You mentioned healthcare. There's some deficit reduction here as well. One of the things, one of the big takeaways as far as the public finance community is concerned, I think, is the 15% corporate minimum tax. Absolutely, yeah. Right, and that is, on the surface of it, in my initial conversations with folks, one of the things that people will say is, well, wouldn't a new tax be considered a good thing for folks to, if anything, increase the value of tax-exempt municipals? But the issue here is that this corporate minimum tax applies to U.S. corporations with a three-year average adjusted book income above $1 billion. And there are investments exempt from taxation, like tax and bonds, but they're reported as part of book income. And municipal bonds are a major part of that particular category. And so tax-exempt municipal bonds are not how to describe it, maybe safe, or there's not a increased value for those corporations. And so that means that there are likely going to be some insurance companies and or some banks that readjust the value of tax-exempt bonds as a result of this. So one of the things that we don't necessarily exactly know yet is how many of those, and it's going to be larger insurance companies or banks, because as I mentioned, the tax applies to corporations with a three-year average adjusted book income above a billion dollars. That's a lot. That's going to be more so the larger banks and insurance companies, but it's not going to apply to all of them. And that's where kind of the the tax issues come. I'm, I'm not a corporate tax expert, but one of the things that it looks like, it looks like there very well could be 
maybe a half a dozen or a dozen banks or large insurance companies that, that this applies to. And that is really one of the, the biggest takeaways with regard to this new fiscal policy and how it's going to impact public finance. Yeah, no, those are fair takes. And I think, as you and I have discussed over the past week since passage, so much is unknown at this point in time. There could be a more direct impact than we, than we know at this point in time, but only time will tell how much this could actually impact the value of munis. But reading through some things you've put out at Hilltop over the past week or so, you think it'll most likely be a muted impact. Is that a correct read? That is a correct read, right? That I really just, I don't, first of all, if you step back from a big picture perspective, banks and insurance companies make up a total of about 30% of the market. So it's not an insignificant part. Banks also, after the Great Recession, started to make up an increasing percentage of the overall market. One of the reasons for this is they, especially just after the Great Recession, there weren't all that many loans for them to invest in. So they needed to find places to put their money. And so one of the things that they started to do is they started to increase increase their investment in, in the municipal bond market for that reason, but also because of the credit quality that exists in, in the municipal bond market. But I think it's important to keep in mind that just overall, these two sectors make up 30% of overall kind of participation. That being said, both of these investors they are not consistent participants in the market. There are sometimes, it really depends on their internal investment bogeys. It really depends on where municipal treasury ratios are. There are, are a whole host of factors of why it is that these buyers do or do not participate, but there are absolutely not just days, but weeks on end that some of these buyers might not participate in the market. And so they're not consistently participating in the market. And another point I think to make is that it is, especially in, in the market that we've been seeing since the beginning of this year, where there have been a significant amount of outflows, theoretically, we definitely do not want to see less participants, right? And that's what this does. This does, even if it's just a half a dozen folks who are buyers that this very well could, it's not necessarily going to restrict them, but it's going to raise the bogey by which they will potentially participate in the market. And that's not necessarily something that the issuer community wants. The issuer community wants there to be more investors. They want to increase the appeal of especially tax exempt municipals because they would like to have, they'd rather have more interest in their debt. That being said, I mean, there are not just dozens, but hundreds of banks and insurance companies, many of them are small, that this is not going to apply to. And so on a day-to-day basis or week-to-week basis, I don't see this at this point. I don't see this as resulting in something that's going to cause the market to reprice. That being said, one of the things that I'm I'm trying to think a little strategically here and think, okay, if this is not repealed, and if this exists in another five or 10, or even after another decade, if this rule still exists, then perhaps that it's going to apply to a much larger number of insurance companies or banks. And then it's going to be much more important to, then it's going to be important to find more buyers. You know, then it very, it could be much more impactful, but in the, in the near term, I don't see it being all that impactful. Yeah. I really look forward to reading your piece in five years about the impact of this law. And you're right. I mean, reconciliation, the, the tool that allows a straight party line vote in the Senate, I, I think will, continue to be weaponized and yeah. uh, 
things like this could be repealed in the not so distant future. So let me mention one more thing too, is I mean, there were, as far as the 2017 tax cut, there were some very significant changes in tax policy, much more significant than this in my mind. Even that didn't move, really move the needle all that much. And so where this is concerned, I think that this is a, a much smaller tax change than even what we saw in 2017. No, and I think that's a good segue to a similar topic here. The 2017 tax law, much like this piece of legislation, came together rather quickly without much thought about unintended consequences. I guess overall, my concern is we're in a state of play now where you're just looking to fill a budgetary gap, for lack of better terminology. And unfortunately, both of these policies potentially, I guess potentially better said, could negatively impact munis. Looking forward, as I assume the next few Congresses will start to take a look more so at deficit reduction beyond what this package did. With lack of thought of the outcome or care of outcome, are you concerned? And I know that you have mentioned you are somewhat concerned about the overall tax exemption being shipped away further more than what's happened over the last five years. Yeah, this is something that I've been concerned about going back to the beginning of the last decade, right? I mean, there's been, and that's also one of the things that I hear when I talk about this potential threat, because even going back to the end of last year, when folks were still thinking that there could be a reinvigorated BAB program that comes back into the market or that we could get advanced refundings with taxes and back. I mean, even when folks were thinking that that was a possibility, one of the things that I, I put out a piece titled A New Decade and the Threat to the Municipal Bond Tax Exemption to remind people that I wouldn't say that there's a direct threat right now, not in the way that there was in 2017. But there has been a history of threats to the municipal bond tax exemption. And most recently, as you just mentioned, in 2017, and with this tax policy, there was not a determination or a lawmakers did not consider the policy implications of what was going to ha be happening to the public finance universe. And with that said, even as I'm thinking back to 2017, they understood what the implications were going to be because, as I'm sure you remember, there was a time when we thought that the tax exemption might be taken away for private activity bonds for higher education. There was a, a hostile audience at uh, House Ways and Means that definitely towards uh, fixed income generally. Yeah. So that was even a little bit more of a direct threat. But, and I'm thinking now back in 2010, 2011, when I really started realizing that this was a threat. I mean, it was that Bowles-Simpson commission right. that recommended that they basically get rid of the tax exemption tax expenditure. And, you know, ever since then, I have been concerned that more so lawmakers looking, as you mentioned, towards deficit reduction, that the tax exemption tax expenditure could be impacted because of that. But what we saw in 17, what we've seen recently is the implications that could happen uh, to public finance, either directly or indirectly. And I guess to me, the moral of the story or the punchline is that I think that issuer organizations, dealer organizations, or industry organizations really need to do what it was that they started doing in 2000, kind of 10, 11, and 12 in educating or re-educating the folks in Washington about what the tax exemption funds. 
that it funds state and local governments, that a large percentage of it funds money for schools, right? right. It's not golf courses, right? Yeah. Which that's not the larger percentage. And this is one of the reasons of why it is that there's a oftentimes a hostile view of what the tax exemption is or funds. And you would think that because there are likely a lot of lawmakers who have served at state and local government and then move on to Washington, that they would have an understanding of this. And maybe at one point they did, but I think that it's important enough for folks, as I mentioned, on the issuer side and on the industry side to be communicating consistently with the folks in Washington, especially one of the things that I really realized 10 or so years ago after doing that, you know, participating in those types of conversations for a couple of years, the lawmakers change in Washington. And they, they oftentimes they change a lot. The staffs change, the lawmakers themselves change. And so it's a process that you can't just do once or twice. It has to happen on a very consistent basis, you know, every year, if not multiple times a year. I agree fully. And last thought for me, at least, I, I think the more the Democratic Congress, this Congress, was supposed to be fairly friendly to, to munis and issuers, but I surely hope COVID was a once-in-a-lifetime, once-in-a-thousand-year event, but they've relied so much on federal funding directly to issuers and given so little thought to, to financing tools. It's just, it's a weird scenario here as we head to 2023, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Rather confusing efforts by the federal government to cut the deficit without with spending uh, excessive amounts of money and, and not helping state and local governments fund their own projects. But hey, that's just my opinion. Yeah. And to a degree, the lawmakers were, were able to get some direct, mostly unencumbered spending at the beginning of last year in March of 21, right? There was $650 billion that went to public finance entities, which for those sectors, that was a positive. And this is one at of the At the time, reasons. it was needed and justified. I, yeah. I agree. I just, I wonder going forward, if it continues to look like that, or we go back to the old model, you know? Or as I think about some of the other things, especially things focused on infrastructure that really could have moved the needle. As I, I mean, I'm thinking back to 2009, 2010, and how successful that taxable bat Build America Bond program right. was, and it only existed for two years. I mean, if there was something meaningful like that, as much as I say that issuers fell out of love with Babs because of the sequestration. I was about to say, it's a problem we still deal with this fall, right? I mean, yeah, that, it's yeah. true. Crazy. Yeah. All right, Tom, I think that's a good place to leave it. I mean, we could go on forever, I feel like, on this topic, but we can save it for another day. I think covering the IRA was needed and, and justified. So I appreciate your time today yeah. and your insight on the, especially the, the corporate, new corporate book tax. So that was very, very beneficial. Looking forward to coming back and talking to you again. Seeing you in Washington in a few weeks. Sounds good, Tom. 